Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. Hey everyone, we are live. Thanks for being here and thanks to my guest today, Steph. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I feel like I have podcast royalty on my podcast and it's the day my fancy microphone breaks. So for those who don't know, I'll introduce Steph real quick, but she uh, she's a good friend. Uh, we lived. I lived in San Diego for a while. We were local nearby, uh, did farmers markets, Johnson dinners and things. And so I'm very excited to to have you here and to, to chat about some things that our audience at Rebel Health Tribe doesn't hear about too much. And I think that it will be a refreshing, different topic for them to hear about and something that'll will serve them really well. So uh, for those who don't know, Steph Godreau is an NTP, which is a nutritional therapy practitioner. Uh, she is doing that and strength training, an intuitive eating expert, helping women who lift weights fuel themselves better so they get stronger, increase their energy, and perform better in the gym. Her best-selling book, The Core Four, details a four-pillar approach to getting stronger, embracing your body, and owning your power. Steph is trained in biology and human physiology, high five to another former teacher, and is a nutritional therapy practitioner, certified intuitive eating counselor, and a USA weightlifting sports performance coach. Her weekly podcast, the Listen to Your Body podcast, has 3.8 million downloads. That's crazy. <laughs> She's an international speaker that has been featured in Outside, Mind, Body, Green, Self, and ESPN Radio, and she's super fun and cool. So thanks, <laughs> thanks for... That's a that's quite the list. 3.8 million. You, is that current? We're Can, almost at four. But, you know, keep in mind that I've been doing the podcast since 2015. So that's still pretty. A lot. <laughs> um, does some of this is like uh, confetti or like whistles go off out of your computer when you hit a million uh, markers? Or I wish. <laughs> so today uh, we're going to talk about probably some misconceptions and some misunderstandings uh, around women and strength training and working out in general and eating and that whole combination there that tends to uh, get influenced for better or worse by like fitness magazine covers and things on TV and, and indoctrination of what's supposed to happen or what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. Your journey goes from science teacher, mm-hmm. right? We were both teachers in former lives. Uh, science teacher, I think it was nu- was a nutrition first or strength training first, or what was your? Because it was harder to kill radio. Mm-hmm. But was it? What was your first foray into this world? Was it the training or the nutrition, or did you kind of get into it both, or how did that happen? Well, I've been an athlete my whole life since I was really young, uh, competing in sports, and I found strength training in 2010 kind of by accident. I mean, I always knew what lifting weights was, but I didn't really start to learn how to lift free weights until 2010. And my journey prior to that, the sport I was doing prior to that was mountain bike racing and triathlon and my relationship with food and like eating enough and understanding how to fuel my body was not there. And so really it sort of was a transition that kind of happened about the same time 
where slowly I started taking steps to eat a little bit more, um, relative to the amount of training and movement and stuff I was getting, what my goals were. And, and so it kind of happened concurrently. And then in 2013, I left the classroom and started running my own recipe website. So that was kind of the, the beginning phase of it, but it's, it's been a slow, gradual change and evolution over these last eight to 10 years of doing what I'm doing now. So the training, the food and the fueling all were kind of swirling around each other, just in different, different ways. And it sounds like you started more with endurance training. Uh, the, the bike riding you were doing was more endurance training. And so mm-hmm. I know there's a tendency there in those sports world. It's like, how hard can you work out and how little can you eat while you do it? Oh well, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> especially that. amongst women. Like I'm, uh, I think, uh, there's a lot more indoctrination there around, uh, you know, you don't want to get bulky or you don't want to put on all these myths that we can jump into. I love your yeah. social media content because, uh, Steph unapologetically challenges these, um, statements like that. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, stupid easy paleo is the website. I made a ton of your recipes before we even met. I, mm-hmm. I kind of fanboyed on you when I moved to San Diego and sent you a message and was like, Hey, you make the best food. And I live in your neighborhood now. Do you want to have lunch? And, uh, let's be so, friends. Let's be friends. <laughs> and, uh, and it worked. And I still use your meatloaf. Uh, I think we made it, we made it when we were here a few weeks ago. So, um, recipes, nutrition, training, mm-hmm. different types of training, all kind of swirling together. And it's, mm-hmm. it seems like you've really settled into, you know, where it all really aligns for you mm-hmm. is, is challenging these, these like industry, I don't even know what to call them, uh, dogmatic industry type of things around women and training and eating. What mm-hmm. are some of the biggest mistakes uh, women who lift weights are making with their nutrition? And why do you think this happens? I'm going to start with the second half of that question first. Okay. It is, it's complex. Like the more you start to try to understand the genesis of all of this, the more you realize you keep peeling back layers upon layers upon layers. And in 2015, 2015 or 2016, we went to New Zealand and I spoke at a, um, at a conference there. And my topic that I chose was beyond the, the title of the presentation was beyond honing. And it was really looking at why do women, why is there, why are women so reluctant to lift weights? Why is there so much stacked against us? Like, where does that come from? And I'll tell you what, I learned a lot of things. And then even now, six, seven years later, I'm still learning how these pieces all fit together you know, and on the surface, we can point to things like there's just typically less exposure for women in, in terms of strength training. If you, if you think about in high school, we had a weight room, we did one unit on lifting weights. And that was that the, and I was playing, I was playing soccer. I was running track and field indoor and outdoor tracks that lived in new England. Um, and so I was, a, I was an athlete and I was competing, but I like the women, the girls teams did not get in the weight room and lift. Cause I don't know if, why, why not? So a lot of, um, I think slowly things are changing with some of that, but then ironically, a lot of the people who enter into a sort of a personal training relationship with a, a trainer, or they want to go to the gym, 
are, are women or women identifying individuals. And so we have this massive gap. So we have that we have, um, the pervasive narratives of just the world around us that tells us that women are weak and incapable and, uh, we should be careful. We're going to get hurt. This is one of my biggest pet peeves is anytime a woman's like, Hey, I'm thinking about lifting weights or don't hurt yourself. Like the same thing is so rarely said to men. It just, it's just, it's just, Oh, it irks me so bad. Um, because here's, here's some, so people say, well, that certainly, you know, a lot of women are lifting weights. Well, if you look in certain pockets, that is the case. And I think we can credit sports like CrossFit, you know, which is, has pros and cons, uh, no sport is perfect or no athletic pursuit is perfect, but I think CrossFit did do a lot for women lifting weights. It, it reinvigorated things like the sport of Olympic weightlifting in the United States. Uh, the membership in USA weightlifting grew by leaps and bounds. Um, powerlifting has become more popular, um, especially with women. so we have this idea that yes, like things are changing, but when we look at the overall picture, you know, if we look at the, what is the, um, what does the research tell us? It's something like, you know, in the United States, we have the, the CDC slash WHO recommendations for adults in activity, physical activity is broken down into two categories, muscle strengthening activities, i.e. lifting weights, resistance training and aerobic based exercise. The amount of adults who are meeting the minimums in both categories is something like 23, 24%. I would guess that's pretty high, (laughs) but when we filter it out and we remove it, and again, this was done with the binary of, of men and women, right? Male and female. Uh, but when you filter the the men out of the equation for women, now we're down below 20%. So our, so we have a need, right? There's a need for us to strengthen our bodies to move more. But also we have this, um, <laughs> we have this messaging out there that we should, uh, be smaller, right? We should, uh, we're not capable if we are going to do anything, it should only be for the pursuit of the sole pursuit of weight loss at all costs. doesn't matter what happens with anything else. Uh, being smaller is the best thing. And yet we also have these really difficult standards to try to fulfill, so look smaller, but not like that. Look, you know, like maybe more muscular or quote unquote tone, but not too much. And so we're constantly pendulum swinging between you know, what is the right thing? Do we try our very best by eating less and moving more to the degree that it becomes unhealthy? Um, or, or do we just give up and say like, I can't meet these unrealistic expectations. So I think it's really complex. Obviously we have things like diet culture and the diet industry. Um, we have weight stigma, we have, um, you know, access and, um, resources, resource availability, right. For, for people in, in different communities and, and things like that. So it's, it's not an easy question to answer. And at the same time, I just think, you know what, we don't, we don't, we're not doing well enough by women. We're just not we collectively as a society in terms of this stuff, um, it's, it's frustrating. And at the same time, I guess I've kind of made it my, (laughs) my mission to, to talk about these things and to raise these issues and concerns and say, you know, what's really going on here. I think also people, um, approach women, like we're stupid and we don't understand any of this. 
And so, yes, there is a narrative. Like we have these narratives of like, oh, well, we should just, you know, make long and lean muscles, or we should just focus on toning. Well, but what does that really mean? Maybe it's because I am a science educator and I have a science background and I've been trained in all of this stuff, but I think, you know what, we're intelligent. Can we have a frank discussion? Maybe you come in thinking that, you know, what is, you know, I just need to look toned, but what does that really mean? It means we need to build muscle. Okay. How do we start to move you forward toward those goals? And so I think a lot of times we're just, it's just assumed that we can't possibly comprehend what this means. We're not all meatheads. We don't all care about exercise (laughs) physiology and all of the, all of that nerdy stuff. Although some people like that, but really how do we talk about it in a way that is what it really is? When I say Tony, we really mean build muscle, (laughs) right? Um, We can't lengthen a muscle because it's attached it's fixed, you know? So like we have these marketing terms, it's all like marketing jargony speak. And, and then we end up because this is the narrative that's fed to us. We end up walking through the world as women going, well, I just want this. Well, I just want that. And so I'm not at all blaming the, the individual who, who does come to a trainer or a coach and is, or is online looking for programs and saying like, this is what I think I want. But as the professionals, are we out there also educating? Are we using evidence-based information? Are, are we understanding that the needs of women are slightly different than other clients? And, and how are we going to address that sort of stuff? So I think we just have to do better all around. There's a lot there to unpack. Stop uh, off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, you're all good. I noticed too, in high school, I played sports and there was one girl that trained with us out of like, you know, the one girl that would be in the weight room. And, and it was like a thing. It was like, oh, there's Melissa. Like she lifts weights and the rest. And she also kicked ass at all of her sports, was a state badminton champion, like won the things that she played. I think there's maybe a correlation there. But um, I remember her because it was her. It wasn't them. Yeah. There was one. And um, that isn't something I ever really thought of or realized until now that the girls teams didn't train with us. Mm-hmm. And um the different wording and lingo and language. I don't believe any time I ever, and I used to be a trainer. I started in in that, like my backgrounds in exercise physiology. I've spent time in gyms and I've never had anyone come up to me and ask me if I'd like to get more toned. Yeah. Like that's not, that's not words that are used with men. Exactly. (laughs) Like I've, I've never, and I've never thought about that either. And I was like in the industry and I think obviously there's reasons why I've never thought about it because it never applied to me and it, you know, men get to just float along in their little world where the fitness thing is catered to them. Mm -hmm. Um, The languaging is completely different. And then I like how you mentioned the, the expectations of like get stronger, but not too strong, get thinner, but not too thin do this, but don't do this, but do this, but do in the, in the, if you try to find where the spot is, that's being pointed to amongst all that, it isn't. Like there isn't a, there isn't a spot. Like there is no perfect in the middle of all of that. That's, it's just a whole bunch of not, this is. Mm-hmm. And well, if it, keep, it keeps us very busy. <laughs> yeah. It sounds exhausting. And, so like, and distracted to be quite honest. And if you can't, it's- if you can't get it or you don't have it or you're not that, then you're the problem. Yeah. Like it's, or, it's, or you don't belong here. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. um, and yeah, and I've had, I've knocked CrossFit 
a bit over the years, and I agree that it has done wonders for getting more women in the gym and for getting weightlifting back on the map, or I don't even know, back on the map, on the map, uh, Mm -hmm. especially amongst women. And um, I think it's done a lot there. And I've like loosened my stance around, you shouldn't do kipping pull-ups is now more like this got way more people working out. (laughs) So like whether, whether or not some of them got injured or whether or not some CrossFit boxes aren't great with safety and instruction, uh, way more people work out. And it also seemed to be like a way more inviting atmosphere for women to like lift weights and be strong than what I've seen in like the Globo gyms and the other gyms where it's like, oh, the women's aerobics class is over there. This is Mm -hmm. where you go. And And then the weights are over here, but you don't need to go over there. Like the don't also, I've never had anybody say, don't hurt yourself when I'm on the way to the gym or I'm working out at the gym, I've never had anybody express concern for my safety mm-hmm. or offer to help me or um, yeah. So <laughs> Look, I can, I-, <laughs> I can feel the ragey building up. So it's oh, uh- <laughs> when, okay. So when I learned how to coach Olympic weightlifting with my mentor coach in, here in San Diego, and you know, I was learning Olympic lifting and I was learning when I first learned how to lift free weights and, and, in the cross the gym and all this stuff, like, trust me when I say there is no one who is more safety focused than me in the gym. I'm like, Ooh, look at the end of that barbell. The, the screw is coming loose. Let me go get the Allen wrench. You know, I'm that kind of person who's looking around me and, and I like very concerned about safety. And at the same time, when we say that to women, it is not be, it is not a generalized like, Hey, make sure there's, you know, your, their space around you is clear so that if you have to drop the bar, you know, be careful. It's, it's the subtext of you're not capable. Um, this is inherently dangerous for you in some way. Um, you know, you're going to get hurt. And for women that are already a little bit sort of tentative about, is this something I can do? Is this right for me? Is this something I can build up to putting that doubt and fear in, in people's minds is just, it's not okay. And it's not okay. Especially when it's not, it's not something we tell men, (laughs) like, frankly, it's just not something we tell men. And 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 men are more reckless and careless and dumb and do more things to hurt themselves by a wide margin. (laughs) And I, I, can say that because in the last six months I've hurt my knee and my shoulder doing things that I knew better. Well, the ego is the most dangerous thing. in the It's like, well, I used to be able to hit the bag like this, or I could have done this before, but it's fine (laughs) that I haven't done it in six months. It'll be cool. Now Mm -hmm. women are in my experience, much like Mira is always the one saying that don't do that. That's dumb. (laughs) Or that you're, that you're going to hurt yourself if you do that. Or when I hurt myself, like, Oh, do you think it was smart to do this thing that you haven't done in six months and do it as hard? So in my experience, women are often more cautious and more careful and more um, meticulous and like pay attention to details and doing less reckless things and less careless things. So if anything, uh, the warning should probably be the other way. And uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm guilty of it. And I've seen the, if I made a list of the top 10 most like dangerous, dumb, reckless things I've seen done in a gym, uh, every single one of them was a dude. So like, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So before we just spend an hour ranting about the bullshit and the languaging and all the things, mm. um, what mistakes regarding, we'll start with nutrition. Yeah. Uh, does this programming and indoctrination and questioning and marketing and propaganda and all this stuff, um, 
what mistakes does this lead to regarding nutrition for women who lift weights and work out? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, okay. So I, I kind of break this down into a few different categories. So the, you know, we have to understand how does a dieting mentality, how does the dieting, the, the, how does the messaging of the dieting industry and the dieting culture that we're in affect us as individuals? And of course it's going to be contextual. Of course it's going to be individual to some degree, but here's what I tend to see is that first, um, people who are highly active do not take in enough energy to cover their, their daily energy needs. And this is very pervasive in a culture, of course, in our society where the dominant narrative is eat less. Now, does energy balance matter? Of course it does. Is energy balance influenced by things other than calories that you consume? Yeah. And so we try to, we try to boil it down into something that's like a sound bite. And that's, that's one problem. So when, with women, I tend to see more or less that they're coming in and they're not eating enough food relative to their activity level. Now, if someone is not moving very much, they're sedentary. Obviously that means that their, their energy need tends to be lower throughout the day, but that's not who I work with. Typically I'm working with people who are lifting weights, they're cross training, they are stressed. They have really active lifestyles. They like to do things. They like to go out and adventures, whatever. Um, and the thing that matters is like, we, we tend to only think about this in terms of purposeful exercise and say, well, you know, I just need to make sure that I'm like the energy that I, that I eat is like giving me enough energy for my exercise. But we need to remember that our daily energy needs, the biggest chunk of that for most people is our basal metabolic rate, our basal metabolism. Even when they're training. Yeah. If you were lying horizontal all day, watching Netflix. Your, the, the bulk of your daily energy needs for your body are going to be coming from things like uh, your cellular metabolism, your cell repair and reproduction, your, you know, moving your, moving your blood through your body, respiration, thinking, right. The energy that your brain is consuming, all of those things doesn't even account for digestion, the energy it takes to digest and, and assimilate your food. So we have a big chunk of energy need through the day that is strictly going to that basal metabolic rate. On top of that, we stack things like our non-exercise activity, which a lot of people have heard of the acronym NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is just the amount of energy that you're, see, I'm waving my hand right now. <laughs> this takes energy for my body to wave my hand and to putter around my house and do the dishes, walk around, go to the store, put the, put a fork to my mouth, like all of that stuff. So we have that. And we, what we tend to see where people um, think, Oh, well, suddenly I've started to, you know, maybe my body weight is changing and going up. What we tend to see a lot is, and this kind of goes to the, the, the problem, the mistake here is the, we cut our energy intake too low. And now our body is trying to where our metabolism starts to go down, adapt downward to meet this lower energy intake and our body starts to slow down. We feel less motivated to move. We're getting less non-exercise activity. Um, we're sitting more, right. We're more sedentary. We we're just not doing as much. So even if you are going out and doing a 30 minute workout. Okay. So we've got basal metabolic rate, non-exercise activity. We have thermic effective foods. So that's how much it takes to <laughs> digest and assimilate our food. 
uh, takes, for example, more energy to digest and assimilate protein than it does fats or carbohydrates. So again, we see women typically going too low protein. Um, so they're expending less energy through that. It's not a huge amount, but it does count for some. And then we have our purposeful activity, our exercise on top of it. So we have all of this daily energy need, but we're, if we're shortchanging ourselves on our energy intake, we're, we're not having enough energy to account for like our, <laughs> our, our immune system, our reproductive system, our, you know, our cognition and all of that stuff. And over time, and it doesn't take actually that much caloric restriction to make this happen. We can slide into a state called low energy availability, which means we're not providing enough energy for things like recovery, repair, immunity, reproductive, um, health. And so we start to see some of these issues happening with people. You don't need to be an elite athlete for this to, to happen. So that's a huge mistake that I see with a lot of women that I work with is they're, you know, they're bringing in their, their mentality that they've learned, which is we just got to eat as little as possible because that's how we avoid the dreaded everything that comes along with, you know, our bodies getting bigger at all. And we start to, uh, move less. We start to notice things like maybe we're getting sick more. We are, um, having, uh, issues with our menstrual cycle or, you know, even in men having issues with, um, testosterone and hormone production, we are starting to see more injuries. We're starting to see, um, you know, poorer sleep inability to focus. <laughs> I mean, this stuff, it, it just, it goes so much further than just in the gym and what you're lifting, but that's, that's kind of a, another layer. So that's one thing. And re- then related to that, I would say secondarily is, uh, too low protein being too low in protein intake. Um, you know, people tend to think protein is for meatheads and we don't need very much. And the RDA for protein has become mistaken as the optimal amount that active people, especially those who are lifting weights and participating in sport need to eat. And that's just not the case. It's the minimum amount you need to avoid deficiency. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that persists out there. Protein is going to wreck your kidneys and, and that's just, just not supported by the research. So, um, also with the rise of things like plant-based diets, we have to be a little bit cognizant of, that sort of like protein energy versus non-protein energy, right? So carbohydrates and fats, you know, compared to protein intake, are we getting enough protein to support our, our muscle repair and recovery? Um, and what's the energy balance for that? Because we have to think about protein density. So for example, yes, peanut butter has protein, but relative to its fat content and its overall caloric yeah. content, it's pretty low. Yeah. So we have, if you're getting all your protein from peanut butter, that's going to be a lot of calories. It's so, you know, <laughs> we just have to be mindful about like, what are our, our typical choices yeah. are, you know, are we finding uh, a, a balance that, and I use that word loosely, but are we mm-hmm. finding, you know, um, an intake that works for us and and what our goals are. So eating too little, eating too little protein. Um, and the other one, and I'll probably (laughs) be a very unpopular for talking about this is, um, skipping meals. And, you know, obviously sometimes this is purposeful with, with tools such as fasting. Um, but remembering, I tend to work with an athletic population. 
when I talked about energy deficiency, right, there is such a thing as within day energy deficiency. So for example, if you wake up in the morning and you get out there and do your workout, uh, you've been sleeping all night, <laughs> you've not been taking in any food, right? You're in a, a fasted state when you wake up, um, then you do some training and now you've stacked up all of this energy expenditure and you're midway through the day and you haven't eaten anything yet. And now your body's trying to repair and recover itself um, from your training. And you're also trying to make up this sort of like deficit of energy intake for the day. And a lot of people just find that that's really difficult to eat the amount of food that they need in a compressed window. For some people it works. Um, there's also some really compelling research, however, about eating in the earlier parts of the day, especially making sure you partition some protein intake into the earlier parts of the day because of the muscle clock and sort of how your, um, your, your, the metabolism works in terms of the circadian rhythm and in, in your musculature. There's a study that came out this summer that details that maybe we can link to it. Suffice to say, I tend to see better results with people when they start to front load their day a little bit more, the slightly bigger meal, some protein, right? Obviously like getting rounded meals is important, but not waiting until the later parts of the day. Cause now we got more to make up. And especially if we are trying to be aware of how much protein we're eating, protein is a little bit self-limiting because it's so satiating. So it just tends to be really difficult for people when they go all day and then they get to that afternoon and they're like, I got to make up all this food. <laughs> um, because of the satiety factor, um, for some people, the psychological factor of look at all this food, this looks like a lot. And in the, the mind trash that plays into that. Um, and so that when I start to you know work with people and encourage them to eat a little bit more in the morning or start incorporating at least something small in the morning, I'll tell you what the, the decline in afternoon sugar cravings is enormous. The sort of, uh, bingy type, like overeating, uncontrollable eating because of ravenous hunger goes away. I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable foundations of wellness starter kit. that's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast a gift from our team over at rebel health tribe producers of this show and now back to your episode so a lot of the things that people struggle with and then it gets to be a vicious cycle if we just start introducing a little bit more food in the half first half of the day which would make sense with our circadian rhythm anyway because we'd be up and about and looking, for, we're not going to be looking for food in the dark. Um, it, 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 it just works so much better for so many people. And so I think that would be like the third thing I would say. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I've witnessed that firsthand to the last, the last bit I, uh, got on the, Oh, I should only eat like in this four hour window train for a while. And I made that not the morning mm -hmm. and I would eat from like three to seven or something in the afternoon. And I turned into a maniac with the afternoon, like eating a bunch of crap I wouldn't normally eat and eating a whole lot of it. And then being like, well, I didn't eat all day, so this is fine. And, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. and then um, 
I noticed that I was having a hard time with work and focusing during the day and stuff. So it, it circadian, I mean, I've had some full, full blown circadian nerds on things that I've recorded too. And uh, the food eating and movement are just as big a part of circadian rhythms as the light. Like mm-hmm. everyone talks about light, dark and sleep and screens and get your light in the morning and turn off the screens at night. And that's all great. That's awesome. And that's one third of the thing. And eating affects the circadian clocks in our cells and so does moving. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take um, an evolutionary biologist to realize that we would probably move and eat more when mm-hmm. it's light outside yeah, and then not move and eat when it's dark outside because we have not evolved night vision goggles in our heads yet <laughs> yeah. and um, hunting in the dark. We're at a distinct disadvantage against many other things that also like to hunt in the dark. Um, so it was like, you know, go out in the daytime, find the food, do the things, eat the food, then come back by the fire and the safety and the shelter and relax and wind down. And I've found too, that it takes a lot of unprogramming with this a little bit, yeah. because in our culture, like dinner's the big meal. Yep. Like, and breakfast is like donuts and coffee and carbs and sugar and whatever for a lot of people. And then no protein, which this, that's probably even worse than not eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lunch is maybe a salad or somebody's doing the, the soup or the healthy thing. And then dinner comes and it's like this bonanza smorgasbord of all these things. And that's a cultural thing in our culture too. Like in this society, like dinner's the the meal. So it mm-hmm, took, a, mm-hmm. it was difficult for me to shift to like eating the bigger meal in the morning, eating a smaller meal for lunch. And if I did skip a meal, it was the nighttime meal. Or if mm-hmm. I did eat a tiny bit, it was at the nighttime meal and it's okay to go to bed, maybe a tiny bit hungry, but not like starving, but like a little tiny bit, like not stuff yourself right before sleeping. Cause that's a whole nother metabolic uh, mismatch is mm-hmm. we eat these meals at like nine o'clock at night, stick our face in front of a screen for an hour and then go lay down and then be like, I don't sleep very good. And it's yeah. like, well, <laughs> so I think yep. that that's important to, to point out is the, is the, 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 the intermittent fasting world and the, and all of that, I think that they've just got the, the time uh, flipped and I saw much better. And for some people, especially if you're training hard, it might just not be your thing at all anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you need totally. to eat, you need to eat more like the body needs more fuel. Cause what I gathered in your explanation about the base metabolic situation and the functions and all that is like um, not only if you don't eat protein and food while you're training hard, are your training results going to suck and not get done what you want to get done and not see the results and not get stronger and all these things, it's going to affect you in like your basic primary physiological functions of like thinking and hormones and digestion and things like that, uh, which is going to lead to you going to the gym less, which is going to start this whole cycle of like, Oh, when I worked out, I didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, we, a lot of people are familiar with the term female athlete triad, Mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, what we thought was only really affecting women in terms of things like, um, menstrual disruption, right. Or cessation of the, of the menstrual cycle completely hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, and disordered eating and osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is, you know, 
more fragile bones, um, less bone density. But in recent years, that syndrome has been expanded because we're starting to see it doesn't just affect women. And so now the, the term that's used more frequently is red S, which is red relative energy deficiency in sport. And the, the, the whole thing that kicks off <laughs> red S, which is the syndrome, the collection of symptoms is not eating enough relative to the amount of energy that you're expending. Interesting. That was only talk. I did my master's in exercise physiology now mm-hmm. 12 years ago. And that was only discussed pertaining to women and the female triad and all of that. Yeah. And it would be lumped in with how women always tear their knees and need to be careful in training. And then that never mentioned it in relation to men. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, red, red S is being talked about a lot more. Um, and so people might be listening to this and saying, yeah, but I'm not an elite athlete, you know, I'm not working out that much, but they did a study. There was a study done in 2016 in New Zealand, and they surveyed women in a recreational athletic or recreational exercise in context. So these are not elite athletes. These are not Olympians. Um, and this study outcome was 46% of the people that they surveyed were found to be at risk for low energy availability. These are recreational exercisers, right? So people are, who are not necessarily competing or not necessarily at the elite level of sport and performance. Um, and I think it's an interesting conversation to have because again, we are bombarded by messages that we need to, you know, exercise is going to be the thing that helps us lose the most weight, which is not supported by research, right? Again, movement is wonderful. Um, and let me say that one again, (laughs) building strength and, and building muscle and bone is so important, but the research has not shown exercise itself to be a significant contributor to long-term weight loss or long-term weight loss management. Because it's there's so- literally an entire zillion dollar industry built completely around that. I know, I know. Um, and and I say that because yes, exercise it has so many benefits, right? There, mm-hmm. and I think we need to expand the narrative beyond just exercise as a weight loss mechanism. Um, because here's the thing: even if you are you are someone who does want to decrease your body weight in in for whatever reason it's going to take, if, if that's the goal that you're hitching your wagon to, and you're constantly comparing and saying, this isn't happening fast enough. This isn't happening fast enough. What's going on. Why isn't this, why am I not getting there fast enough via exercise alone? The likelihood that you're going to stick with exercise and get all of the other positive benefits that are associated with it, even things like mental health. Okay. So there are, there's two meta-analyses, 2018 and 2019, respectively, that talked about the, the positive benefit of weight training on anxiety and mild depression, both. Um, I, are those the only things? No, of course not. Like, um, but anyway, you know, I think there's an overstatement of like, and this is why we see January, new year, new you, you know, just get in the gym. I think we need to welcome everybody who wants to go to the gym and not treat it like we're like, oh, all these people are encroaching. But I wish that there was a uh, a healthier narrative in place in the industry that A, doesn't assume that everybody who comes in the gym wants to do it to lose weight. And B, talks about the other positive benefits and, and we're looking at, hey, you know what? It's not 
there are other things that go into like, for example, weight management, other than just the amount of cardio that you can do. Yeah, for sure. And I mean that I've seen that get a, well, I also run in circles where way more educated on this. So I think that some of my friends are more up on this than mm-hmm. like the last podcast uh, we recorded. I don't know what episode or what order they're going to air in, but was with Dr. Jared Sigler who specializes in like neurodegeneration and brain functional neurology and stuff like that. And he mentioned, uh, I said, you know, what are the three, he was talking about all these different neurodegenerative diseases and how it's an epidemic of like Alzheimer's and dementia and all this stuff. And he works with it. And it's like, if people really understood the amount at which those things are increasing and how prevalent they are, like there'd be alarm bells going off and this would be like, Hey, this is unsustainable. Uh, How do we change this? And the number one, I expected him to talk about like toxicity or, maybe something more related to diet or circadian biology or, you know, trauma or something else. What are the three main factors that are contributing to like neurodegeneration? And the first thing on his list, and he said it was like one and one A is a sedentary lifestyle that exercise, both strength training and aerobic exercise, increase blood flow to, blood flow to the brain and um, studies have shown that it's uh, like neurogenesis, um, So for healing brain injuries and healing neurodegeneration and doing these things and building new synapses in the brain and new connections, there's something called BDNF for the brain nerds out there and exercise spikes BDNF and blood flow in the brain and all these other things. And it turned into like a discussion on exercise in a podcast about neurodegeneration. So Mm -hmm. um, it's not just to lose weight. And and Mm -hmm. I love that when those studies come out and show that like, weight loss alone is not a factor, like is not a leading factor in weight loss. There aren't studies that can demonstrate that it is. Mm-hmm. I was so confused because even in my master's program, that's what they taught us. And I'm like, but wait, where's all the science that made the entire curriculum of my training? <laughs> and, uh, and, there, and there isn't any, but you get, you know, the brain benefits, the overall benefits and for women, especially the bone density uh, increases and, and osteopenia and osteoporosis. And I would guess the way things are headed, there's going to be more of that in men too. Uh, mm-hmm. bone density issues in older age and things. Cause men are more sedentary and less physical and less physical jobs and, yep. and all of that. So yes, exercise. Cause it's awesome for you. And I, and I love people like yourself that are really pushing that narrative that it's awesome for you and you'll feel better and you get all these benefits. And that's, enough to be in the gym and here's how you feel yourself to do it. So there's mistakes there with nutrition. What, for those who are in the gym and doing the weights and and trying to do the right thing, there's also a whole bunch of like bullshit narrative around what women are supposed to be doing when they're at the gym too, pushed by the same, mostly the same money interests and magazines and things like that. So um, regard, you talked about nutrition regarding the actual training or weightlifting or what you're doing in the gym. <laughs> yeah. What are the mistakes there? <laughs> oh gosh. How much time do we have now? Um, I think, I think there's, okay. There's this interesting, this interesting sort of conundrum that we see, right? First of all, we have this narrative. Don't get bulky or I don't want to get bulky. And like, look, I, I respect people's choices in autonomy to do what they desire with their bodies. Also, I'm, 
I'm a science minded person and I'm like, can we look at the, what does, <laughs> what does the science of exercise physiology tell us about lifting, for example, and like how our bodies respond. It's very difficult, especially for women to put on a massive amount of bulk because we do not have the testosterone, uh, you know, averages of a man. We just don't, we don't have the, the same testosterone levels. So there's that, um, inter and so, so the, the conundrum comes in though, where women tend to think, okay, so instead of lifting the heavier weights, I'll maybe lift the lighter to moderate weights and do them for lots and lots of reps, except for the fact <laughs> that if we want our muscle to increase in size, we are, we will tend to stick more to a range of reps and sets that promotes muscular hypertrophy, which is quote unquote bulking. It is putting, you know, increasing the size of, of the, the muscle itself, either in terms of the number of fibers or like the amount of fluid inside the cell. So women are, who do go into the gym who are like, Ooh, ew, I don't want to look bulky tend to stick to those lighter weights because they think that it's going to prevent the, the, the size of the muscle from growing, which is actually doing the opposite. So for people who are really concerned with, I don't want to look bulky or I want my muscles to be look smaller, knowing that it is controlled by other factors, for example, genetics, people are always like, your shoulders are so jacked. What does, what do you do for shoulder stuff? And I'm like, I don't know a few sets of presses every week. And they look at me like I must be lying, but just how I'm built, I tend to, to build more quote unquote muscle tone in the upper part of my body. It's just how my body's, my body's put together. Um, so if you want to get stronger, you do want to stick to a lower repetition relative to you, heavier weight. If you're really concerned about looking bulky or putting on mass, there's a whole industry devoted to putting on mass. That's the bodybuilding industry. And that's going to tend to be more of that hypertrophy range, that middle range of reps and sets. I'm just saying like the things that a lot of women are doing, cause they're trying to avoid the thing that they don't want to have are the things that they're actually doing. So there's that. Um, so let me just uh, see if my, it's been a while for me, but I'll dust yeah. off my physiology <laughs> things. I wonder if this has changed. So the more reps, like say above 15, 12, mm -hmm. 12 to 15 more sets, like you're doing really long set, uh, multi lots of sets, multiple reps, like over 15, 20. I've seen a lot of reps be done at one time uh -huh. um, with a light weight. That is actually more aerobic training for the muscles. Like it's mm -hmm. probably not going to build a lot of muscle. You're not going to get a lot stronger. You're going to be confused because you were just at the gym for two hours mm -hmm. and nothing really seems to be happening. You might get a little sore, um, but you can lift lighter things a shitload more times. Yep. Like you'll get really good at doing that. Um, the, heavyweights, lower reps, like you're talking about imp improve strength. Like that's the way to get stronger, like more strength mm -hmm. and power. And it's my understanding then that the muscles are stronger and like more dense, whereas the hypertrophy, which is muscle building is in the middle for, for me, I was taught like 
six on the low end, 12 on the high end reps, maybe three, four sets. Yep. Pr- pretty heavy, like 70, 80 percent ish up there. So hard to do that many struggling on the last ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will build bigger muscles like that's muscle size. Yeah. But the not as much strength as the lower reps, uh, heavy weight mm-hmm. will make you stronger which is the goal for a lot of people, mm-hmm. probably the most bone density benefits are there too. Um, and it doesn't make the muscles as big as that middle range of training, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's those people that are, tra- I've, I've seen them at the gym. I think a couple of videos were from you. There was like some freak guy in San Diego that was like small and he deadlifted like a zillion pounds. I don't know. Like 700 pound deadlift. Yeah, but he was little. Like yeah, he yeah. looked little. I'm sure he was jacked, but he looked little. And it was a demonstration of like how dense muscles can be. Totally. Because he didn't look like he had muscles popping out of his ears or whatever. And he walked up and I'm like looking at this bar and I'm like, that's their, yeah, okay, sure, buddy, you know, whatever. And he just rips it off the ground. And I'm like, how the hell? Because the heavier weights, lower reps is denser, stronger muscles, right? Mm-hmm. So you avoid the big bulk that you can do with the stuff that you're doing to avoid getting bulky and, um, and get stronger. Did I, was my yeah. clou- cloudy summary of that? that- <laughs> yeah, that was good. So I think like, you know, some people do want that appearance of having more muscle tone, right? Mm-hmm. So for the, for that kind of person, you know, having a mixture of sort of like strength and, but also that hypertrophy range would probably be beneficial, but for the person who's really extra concerned about that, then, you know, biasing a little bit more towards the strength strength side of things can be useful. Um, but in general, I'm not seeing, uh, and I understand why this is because a, there's a lack of sort of like education and guidance. Sometimes women don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, hiring a a trainer or working with somebody. And so one of the biggest overall mistakes is not, not loading your reps and sets appropriately. And you kind of touched on it there with the last couple of reps and sets should feel difficult. It should feel challenging. And I'm always like, you know, I see if you're doing like this and you're like, Hey, Michael, how's your day going today? Yep. I had a great weekend. Like there's no mind muscle connection there. Right. So the bottom line is if you want your workouts to really work for you, no matter what your goal is, if you're trying to increase muscular endurance. You're trying to put on some beef and, you know, like get get some, some musculature on you. Um, or you're focusing mostly on strength and power is working to, to that higher capacity in the sense of it needs to be challenging. Well, otherwise is, your body won't adapt to it. Like it won't have a reason to. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So like, the- Oh, I got to lift heavy things now. Cause he's lifting the things that are heavy. So we'll get stronger. If you don't yeah. send that message, mm-hmm. why would it? Yeah. And it's all like- relative. You know, I think that's the other thing people, people look mm-hmm. at, for example, folks like me and see me deadlifting, you know, a lot of weight. And they're like, that's really scary. I'm not there yet. And my answer to that is progressive overload. It's, you know, you're hopefully going to be following a training plan. This is why I really don't recommend unless you're just getting back into things and you're trying to just generally move around at some point, you're going to need a training plan or to understand the fundamentals of creating your own training plan in order to work in things like the progressive overload that you need to, yes, like you said, have the adaptation to the training, right? We have fatigue, we have recovery, and then we have adaptation. 
we're after the adaptation. And so if you only ever lift the same amount for months and years, you're not, you're, you're not going to give your body the stimulus it needs to actually create the adaptation, which is going to be increasing, you know, muscular size, capacity, strength, power, whatever it is. So yeah, you do have to gradually lift heavier and your lower body muscles. The other mistake I see a lot is, and I'm not knocking like these kind of combo exercises, but I see a lot of like, um, you know, clean a dumbbell to your shoulder, press it overhead and then do a lunge or something. I'm not saying that these are bad, but also your upper body cannot move as much weight as your lower body can, unless something is abnormal, like, or, in, or, or you've like, skipped in, a lot of leg days, <laughs> idiosyncratic <laughs> with your body, or like, I don't know, maybe you have an injury, but yeah. in, in general, because your lower body muscles are larger, right. We're talking about glutes, hamstrings, that kind of thing. Those muscles can move more weight. So if you're only ever lifting to the capacity, what your upper body can handle, you're probably not giving the lower body, the stimulus that it needs. So it, yes, combo movements can give you that sense of efficiency. And maybe even if you're doing it at higher, high enough capacity, or like a like warm up, a warm up, or you yeah. feel like you're kind of getting a little bit of that glycolytic, um, you know, breathlessness and, and that that's your jam. You like to, to breathe hard and sweat. Great. But if you're, if your focus is on things like strength development, then you need to think about, I'm going to need to lift heavier on my lower body than I can on my upper body. Right. And, and so that's another space where I see people be a little bit confused in the gym is lifting the same weights that they can for things like lunges and squats and deadlifts that they can for their upper body. And they're just not giving their body enough stimulus to actually create an adaptation. That makes sense. And as mirrors what I've seen a lot too, when I was, when I was in that world and, uh, I would advise, and I know you're really, really great about this and you even have resources on your site. Like some people are probably listening, being like, what's scary. Like, I don't know how to do it right yeah. to lift heavy. Yeah. You don't need to work with a trainer forever. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend, like, if this is interesting to you and you want to start lifting weights for strength and try it out, that you do find someone to work with to assess your form and get you started in the right range of weights and exercises that work for your physiology and your skill and your coordination and, and that it's just like learning any other thing to do. And so um, we're not saying like walk into your nearest gym right now and throw the most weight on the bar that no. you could possibly <laughs> lift and then get no, under no. and try to squat it. Like, and I know you'll, you'll, you preface that and you've got great resources on your website. And I just, I can almost hear some of the like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, there was a point where Steph didn't know how to lift weights. Yep. And um, I've watched, like, Amira got into weightlifting and I had trouble teaching her how to do a squat with the right form. And she went to, I think it was your gym was the first one she went to in San Diego, the CrossFit gym. I think it was that one. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, nine months later, she's in a powerlifting meet doing squats. And so it's, it's a, it's a skill just like anything else and you're not yeah. going to be perfect at it right away. Mm -hmm. And, um, I like what you said about it. It's, it's relative, like what's heavy. Oh yeah. So that person is, cause I, I seen your videos this week. Don't downplay your, your awesome deadlifts, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's into me. Like I was like, damn, and I can't do that right now. So it's, um, it's all relative and it's just what's, it's what's heavy for you. And yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, 
there's that edge too, like of looking around in the gym being like, oh, I'm not lifting what that person's lifting. So mm-hmm. whatever. And who cares? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like, look, you know, for, for the, the person who doesn't want this to become their job or consume their life or compete, that's okay. You're still going to get a huge benefit if you can focus on those main movement patterns. You know, we're looking at two, maybe three full body sessions a week. Yes. Starting off at weights that are appropriate for you and slowly increasing over time. Um, and I'll tell you what I've been lifting now since 2010 and what has been sort of my peak has, you know, like it's up and down, it's up and down. Um, I've had times where I was like focusing more on dumbbell workouts and, and jujitsu. And now I do jujitsu and I've been doing a little bit more barbell lifting over time. That journey is going to change. And I highly recommend to like what you said, even if you can save up and work with someone in your local area for like two or three months, just so you can get the, the form and form does not need to be perfect. And everybody's body is different, but you can understand the fundamentals of this movement and gain enough confidence even understanding how to use the weights, you know, how do you, um, how do you make your way around a weight room? What is the etiquette? What is, how do you load a bar properly? (laughs) How do you, um, drop a bar properly? Or how do you lap uh, a set of dumbbells to, to do some, you know, incline bench presses or something like that is like just working with someone who can guide you and understand your goals and where you're trying to go, even for a short time can be super, super helpful. Um, a lot of people reach out to me and say, you know, how can I get started? Do you have a program for me? And it's at this point, I still don't have a program for just Uber beginners who've never lifted because I, I really do think it's hard to teach it virtually. I don't believe that it can be really well done. Mm -hmm virtually you could give feedback on form but even that is like the second level yeah like like you mentioned how to get the dumbbells up how to do this how to stay like that type of stuff and there's hands like there's touching Mm -hmm. there's cueing there's feel Mm -hmm. this do this feel this here like type of stuff that I think so too I see so many of those programs marketed like launch your weightlifting the right way and it's like yeah. yeah, I don't even know. Even if we were on Zoom and I was like, I don't feel like it's the same. I know yeah. we don't have a ton of time left. I do want to mm-hmm. ask, um, you know, uh, the your book's the core four. Mm-hmm. And I think you focus a lot around four keys to unlock your strength. Mm-hmm. And so um I know we took up a lot of time with the other conversation, <laughs> but I wanted to hit this before we went. And then we can talk about how people can find you and, and what you've got there for them when they get there. But uh, what are these four keys to unlock your strength? Yeah. So in my, in my group program, we cover these four like fundamental things. Um, the first one is fuel. So, you know, here's the thing. I believe that food and, and nutrition is obviously a piece of the puzzle, but I also think that food is more than fuel. So that's, that's my perspective on things. There are some coaches or people out there who are like, food is just fuel. And it's like, just a matter of calculations and spreadsheets. And that uh, makes me feel so sad. <laughs> I'm like, the food's also delicious and it's culture and it's connection and it's tradition and memories. And 
it, it's more to me, it's more than just that. So that's, that's my, that's my approach to things. Um, and so I also take an, a sort of an additive more, I guess you could call it holistic approach to that. So if somebody is listening to this and, and you're thinking I've already done like the macro apps and, and the way in, and like logging of all my food, and I don't want to do that again, then come just DM me or message me because this is really the, the space that I operate in. And I feel like a bit of an outlier most of the time. Um, that's a controversial I, thing to challenge the food is just fuel, uh, dogma in the training world sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> then they'll say you have some sort of eating disorder. I don't know. There's all kinds of uh, nonsense. It's, like, it's wait, you also enjoy food? Uh, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I know. That's the biggest part, I guess, of what we do is looking at the sort of the, the hierarchy, if, uh, if you will, of like, um, you know, for example, in the, in the performance space, a lot of people are like, you know, supplements are the most important thing. And I'm like, supplements can be useful, but they're also don't supersede, um, what you decide to put on your plate three, three to two to four times a day, you know, like that, that matters as well. Um, and we talk about things like pre and post workout, how do you decide what you need? How do you build a plate of food? Um, and that kind of stuff. So that's the first key. The second key is lifting. So obviously some of the stuff we've talked about today, like just sort of cutting through some of the BS with, with training, and then also how to empower people to go out and find a coach or find a trainer. And one of the people in my program actually at one point was looking for a new trainer. And based on some of the things that she was learning from me, like, okay, well this, you, you know, you want to be looking for things like progressive overload and, and just empowering people to understand how to assess what they're using whether it's a gym an online program or whatever, she ended up firing the trainer because he just wasn't, he just wasn't up to snuff with, with what she wanted. So there was that, um, the third key is recovery. So really looking at the different pieces of recovery. And again, looking at the, the, the conceptual principle nature of this, like why does recovery matter? How do we start to incorporate more recovery? Because this is really where we get the benefits of our training. And then the fourth one is calm. I call it calm because calling it stress management for a lot of people is just already stressful, but really looking at the impact of things like stress, um, that not all stress is bad and how we actually get stronger when we incorporate stress because we need to create, for example, micro tears in the muscles and recover that we need to put, um, you know, force on our bones so that our bones start to lay down more minerals. <laughs> like that's how we get stronger bones. So understanding the role of stress, how to deal with the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, um, how to look at either uh, biofeedback from your body and, or data from wearables and stuff like that to sort of inform your training and, and start, um, finding the best mix of things for you. So those are the four keys, uh, fuel lift, recover and calm. Well, I love, uh, I'm actually a convert on some of the wearables. I was like, a, <laughs> I was like a curmudgeon, like, um, I don't know. I was like the old man who doesn't know how to work the VCR. So like <laughs> TVs are bad, but like, there's some concerns in like this functional medicine space and things that are legit with like, you know, high EMF exposure and things like that. But there are some now that are very conscious of that, like the companies I mean, and the products and things. And <laughs> Um, someone, I think, you know, Jessica Drummond, I believe, yep. mm -hmm. uh, we, I, I had a podcast conversation with her recently about women's health and she works primarily with like pelvic pain and women's health and a lot of things that 
uh, she found were correlations in their lives to like stressful events or stressful relationships or things about work. And then their symptoms would spike or whatever. And she had every one of her patients start wearing, I don't remember which one. It wasn't an aura ring. It was something that gave more real-time feedback that they could mm-hmm. check all the time. Mm-hmm. And it would show them, it was heart rate variability and it mm-hmm. would show them every time I'm around that person, my heart rate variability drops, which we're not going to get into heart rate variability here, but you don't want your heart rate variability to drop. It is bad for recovery, bad for training, bad for sleep, bad for it's all cause mortality, like you Mm -hmm. name it and you don't want low heart rate variability. And what she found was that compliance with setting boundaries, which was what she was talking about, was that it helps her clients or patients set boundaries. Like of when I have to go to that place, I can physically see it affecting my body. Or when I have to engage with that person, I can physically see it affecting my body. Or in the training aspect or the eating aspect, it's like I under ate these three days and I'm seeing it affect my body. Or I overtrained these three days and I'm seeing it affect my body. I was converted because of the capability that it gives coaches and practitioners to really show the people like, hey, this is viewable now. It's not yeah. just you have to take my word for it. It's like if you're using one of those things for your calm um, part of your program, they can literally, you can see now because magic, uh, you can see mm-hmm. that person stresses me out and my body responds in this way. Or yep. I stayed up till one in the morning last night watching Netflix and my body responded in this way. And for a lot of people, uh, just feeling not awesome isn't enough. Yep. <laughs> seeing yeah. the num- the seeing the number tank on the thing, uh, that's enough, and that that helps with compliance. It helps with like correlating. This equals this. Yeah. And so um, I'm a convert, and I think <laughs> that that's brilliant to use them for that. And um, I think that's a very well rounded approach. And I think that your the work that you're doing and what you're advocating here is like really a fresh breath in the just smog filled world of nonsense when it comes to like nutrition and uh, eating for training. I mean, I was at a master's level taught basically that you want to feed people as little as possible and beat the hell out of them as much Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And that will get you the results that people are going to be paying you to get for them. Yeah. And um, somehow that's still prevalent (laughs) Uh, we're in like the 1950s and a lot when it comes yeah. to like the, fif- the fitness and nutrition world. So I, I give you kudos for your loud announcements uh, and calling bullshit on things that uh, I love the memes that you share about, like, do you know how yeah. many miles you have to walk to cover that pie that you ate yesterday on Thanksgiving? And it, the answer is like, who gives a shit or like whatever the thing is like yeah. those type of things like, Oh, I ate this thing this one time. So I have to run 19 miles to like that. I love how you challenge all of those um, just indoctrinated nonsense that so many women are walking around with that are harmful. It's like, we're laughing about it because it's silly, but like yeah. this stuff is harmful for people. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's uh, and I know that when you challenge industries in their, um, dug in mono, like financially motivated, dug in dogmatic type of things that there's backlash there. And it's not always the easiest thing to do. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and Steph's super tough and super strong, but you're also like a caring and sensitive person. So I just want to acknowledge that like, sometimes that's probably not easy uh, to receive that kind of, I don't know, yeah. back- backlash or arguments or people <laughs> like, but I read this thing and they'll send it to you and whatever. And, you know, like everyone that I try to bring in here, you're trying to help people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is really valuable, really valuable work and, and information. So if people want to learn more and check out, you mentioned a group program, uh, you do one-on-one coaching, you have a group program, there's some do-it-yourself programs on your on your new site. Yep. Um, we'll have links below and everything to make it easy, but w- where would they go and what are they going to find when they get there? Yeah. So you can go to my website, stephgodrow.com. And yeah, you'll find uh, the group program, which if what we talked about in the, with the four keys is interesting to you, I tend to launch that every few months. And so we'll, you know, get in there, do some live teaching and, and coaching, and you get to learn directly from me in a group setting. So that's strength nutrition unlocked. You'll find that on the website. Um, currently I'm enrolling for that. I have one-on-one coaching. So I truly believe that there is no cookie cutter. Um, I am also under the belief that if you want to work one-on-one with somebody is really getting in there and communicating with them and, and getting face as face-to-face as possible, which for us these days is zoom. So I do a lot of, um, you know, really custom one-on-one coaching. And for most of my clients is in this universe of, um, yes, the, the, the fueling and energy management and how do we build a day, um, and build the systems and skills that work for you is, is something that I do a lot of. And, and I love that. So that's my one-on-one coaching. And then I have some one-on-one or sorry, I have some DIY, uh, fitness programs. So if you want to have uh, a barbell program, if you want to have a more flexible kind of dumbbell program, you can do at home. I have that stuff on the website as well. Perfect. And, um, I just, I've, I've seen your, your evolution from, you know, the, where you started, where it was super stupid, easy paleo and harder to kill radio. And I've seen different iterations, <laughs> And it really, from my perspective, has been, you know, kind of swirling around this thing that you seem to have found. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you have. And it seems very settled and it seems like it fits you really well. And it seems like uh, playing around with different comment of like food and exercise and this and this and this. And it, it just, for me, it just visually for people who can't see the camera, it's like <laughs> swirling uh, around this moving target. And I feel like you've really latched onto that moving target and that it, it, it feels aligned. Like it feels really aligned and it, it feels like what you, um, all of that got you to this of being able to combine these things into something that really helps a, a population who needs some, some reeducation and some help and some, some guidance and some support. Like mm-hmm. uh, group programs are awesome for that aspect of it for going through it together in a cohort and, uh, and support with others and the teacher. And yeah. so thank you so much for coming on and for sharing all this and for forcing me to dust off some of my old uh, physiology <laughs> training and, and did things. It. <laughs> so um, maybe I'll go uh, lift a little in your honor today. And uh, thanks a lot, Steph. It's always great to connect and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening, and please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit. 
which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.